Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 19 this morning. Psalm 19 in your Bible. C.S. Lewis said of Psalm 19, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in all of the world. C.S. Lewis said he thought this was the, the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in all the world. What, what I'm about to teach you today if practice is transformational, it's powerful. I'm super excited to tell you about it because it's almost like a preaching kind of seminar in terms of the practical value to change your life and to help you today. So that's kind of grandiose introduction, isn't it? Let's pray that God will help us in that. Now, Lord, we, I, I'm not a powerful speaker. Your word is powerful. I can't change people's lives. You, you do change people's lives. And we're people that just have come humbly to ask, Lord, change us where we need to be changed. And show us how that works. And, and I just ask in the presence and power of the, of the Holy Spirit that even as you have already worked among us, as we've sung these beautiful songs of your strength and power working through us, that, that you would work in this uh, preaching too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, someday we'll come back to Psalm 19, and I'll take my time, and I'll teach very slowly through it, but that's not going to happen today. What I want to show you is something in Psalm 19 that's really very powerful, and the way I'll show you that is we're going to start at the end and then go back to the beginning. So in the conclusion of Psalm 19, you're familiar with this, right? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. God, I want the words that I say, and I want the thoughts that I have in my mind to be acceptable to you, God. Now, and if you remember what James said, if a person bridles his tongue, he's a perfect person. So if the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart are acceptable to God, your behavior is also acceptable to God. And you should be thinking, okay, good. How does that work? How exactly does that work? And this is the series, Five Tools to Craft a Holy Life. And the first tool was, you're right, pray. And the second tool was like, obey. You guys are so sharp. You were all over that. The first tool was pray. And the second tool was we just had to prime the pump a little bit there, didn't we? And this tool to craft a holy life is meditation. It's truth. It's truth. In other words, we're going to show you this in Psalm 19 and a whole bunch of other places, and I have so much more material than I could ever tell you today, so you need to come back every week and never miss a week. Um, and, and so, um, or you'll miss, oh, you're, or you'll miss. And, and I want to tell you at the beginning, we'll have a number of examples today. The, the heart of the message today is going to be built on <laughs> about, you're going to freak out when I tell you this, 30 examples. So we won't talk about all of them, but they will be available. We'll post a document online and we'll give you a representative sample as time allows. I think what we're going to find here is that you will find this to be very powerful in your life to help you to have virtues implanted in your life and character and vices rooted out of your, your life and character. Now, at the end of Psalm 19 there, verse, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And right before that, he says, Lord, I want to be innocent of the great transgression. 
It's like David. This is a Psalm of David, right? David is, it's like David is saying, Lord, I don't ever want my life to melt down in sin. I don't ever want to blow up my life in sin. And there's an interesting little progression in the passage that goes from verse 12 and 13. And you're going to notice there are names for sins in here. Um, keep, this is verse 12 of Psalm 19. Who can discern his errors? Errors are small sins, let's say. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Hidden faults are secret sins. And you notice they go from, they get worse and worse as we go. And we're going to go all the way up to what? Great transgression, right? Small errors, in verse 12, are small sins. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Those are those are secret sins. Keep me back, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That's just like, it's just part of your character. Habitual sins. Don't let them have dominion over me. This is life-dominating sins, life-dominating bondage. And I want to draw your attention to the songs we sang today. They were about the power of God to set you free. Not those other bad people out there, but you and me to set us free from the things that kind of want to put us in the, in the jail uh, of our sin. Let, don't let them have dominion over me, and then I will be blameless, and I will be innocent of the great transgression. Did you see the progression in that? I start out with small sins, and then I move to secret sins, and then I move to habitual sins, and then I move to life-dominating sins, and then my life melts down in a great transgression. How many of you would like that to happen to you? Yeah, right, me neither. And that's what we're talking about. So you want to ask the question, how can I keep that from happening to me? If you back up in the psalm, now we're going to jump to the first of the psalm. You want to come back to the psalm, read it again, study it again, because I'm just giving a, a really brief overview to kind of embed this as a biblical truth in your mind. But it starts out like this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament displays his handiwork. This is what theologians would call general revelation. God is always speaking in creation, in the night stars, in the moon, in the path of the sun, across the sky, in the firmament, in the brightness of Venus as the sun goes down in the, in the west. God is always speaking, and he's speaking all over the world. He's always speaking. And that's verses 1 through 6. And there are two pictures of the sun in there, and there are the pictures of a strong man running a race. Verse 7 through 9, you notice that if what happens is God wants us to look into the night stars and see the sun, the path of the sun across the sky, and he wants us to go, God, I love what I know about you, and I want to know you more now. I love what I see when I go hunting. I'm in the deer blind, and I look out over the mist, and I'm using deer hunting for an excuse to be outdoors. But God, I want to know more. I'm using deer hunting for an excuse to be outdoors. But God, I want to know more about you. Yeah, for an excuse to be outdoors. But God, I want to know more about you. You ever hear the guy who doesn't want to go? God, I want to know more about you. You ever hear the guy who doesn't want to go to church? None of you, you're here, yeah? I'm preaching to the choir. He doesn't want to go to church. His wife is going all the time. He's like, I don't want to go to church. And so the pastor goes and calls on him. He goes, Pastor, you see, I just go hunting and fishing because I feel really close to God outdoors. And the pastor very wisely says, well, you know, keep listening to him because he's going to tell you to go to church. Yeah, and so what happens is you go out and you hunt and you fish, and if you do it right, 
You're going to show up in a pew someday and go, you know what? I want to seek God with other people. That's just the way it is. When God's tugging on your heart, you find yourself with those people. Some are little old ladies. Some are kind of weird. Some are kind of exuberant. Some of them are not. And you find yourself among God's people, seeking God. And then you find yourself doing what? Opening this book right here. And that's what you see in verses 7 through 9. And you see it in a cluster, a constellation, a burst of beautiful descriptions of what the Bible is. Look at it, verse 7 through 9. We'll not teach it, we'll just, kind of, we'll just kind of look at it like a great painting and come back to it again. The law of the Lord is perfect, can reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord. It's sure, making wise the simple. By the way, in every couplet here, there'll be two references to the Bible and what the Bible is and what the Bible does. Kind of a big deal. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then in verses 10 and 11, it it talks about how valuable God's word is, how valuable meditation on God's truth is. Um, how valuable it is. It talks about how satisfying it is. And we'll use pictures for that, how valuable it is, how, how satisfying it is, and how God's word warns us and rewards us. And this is all, these are big promises that are in verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold. They are they, meaning the words of God, valuable. More than much fine gold, very valuable. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, satisfying satisfying, right? More, moreover, by them your servant is warned. Stay, it helps you stay out of trouble. Some of you need help staying out of trouble. We're here to help today. Yeah, and in keeping of them. How many of you, though, the Word of God has kept you out of trouble? This boy has been kept out of trouble many times by the little Word of God that was put in there when I was in the five-day club or when I was in the joy club or when I was in vacation Bible school and those those Bible verses come back and they're like, Kenny, Mr. Kenny, that's what they call me at home. You can't call me that, but my mother can. Kenny, and a little voice, and there's that Bible verse, and then I'm like, moreover by them, your servant is worn in the keeping of them. There is a great reward. The sweetest things in my life, the greatest rewards in my life have been while I just simply, in the power of the Holy Spirit, did what my mama told me the Bible said. In keeping of them, say it, there is great reward. That's all right here. You see, see how Psalm 19 works? The sun comes up and we go, must be a God. And then we go, I think I'm going to read his word. And then we value and cherish his word and meditate on his word and embed his word into our hearts. And then we're kept from small sins, hidden sins, secret sins, presumptuous sins, life-dominating sins, and the great transgression and the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart is acceptable in the sight of God, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. There, I just thought Psalm 19 in about five minutes. I should get a raise. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, so I take this guy with me one day, and he's having trouble. And he told me I could tell you the story. He's having trouble. He's just afraid. He's headed for the great transgression. He just feels the tug of his vices on him, and he needs deliverance, man. He needs free from that. And so we go to this place in southern Indiana, and it's called 12 Stones Ministries. It's an intense counseling kind of biblical 
counseling place. And what we do is we go down there in Brown County, this beautiful county in southern Indiana, and we check into this cabin that we're staying there. And then the counselor meets us in the morning, and the counselor is going to listen with intense listening to this young man and listen to his story and listen to his life and try to pick out patterns. And what he's really looking for is why are these behaviors so stubborn and why can't he get them out of his life? And what is it that makes these bad behaviors, these sinful behaviors, so binding? And why can't he get free of them? And he's going to listen. The counselor's now listening. A good counselor is a good listener. And this guy just listens, and he asks perceptive questions. And the more he listens, the more information he gets. And even I, I'm not allowed to talk. Can you imagine the torture of this? I'm not allowed to speak, right? I'm just present, and I'm listening. And honest, I didn't say a word. It's true. I didn't. And I just sat there. And I listened to that as they kind of went, you guys are enjoying that too much. And as we went through that guy's life, just like five years at a time, even I could see these patterns emerging in his life of things he believed that weren't true. Lies. He was building his life on things that weren't true. He was crippled, if you don't mind me saying it that way, by lies. Even, even I could see it. And what the counselor then did quite a while later is he just began to give him truth to replace the lies. Now, this is very powerful, and I'll tell you why. Jesus said he doesn't want us to be overcome by the world. Take your Bible and flip to John 17, or just turn if, you, if you're not athletic enough to flip over there. John 17 I want to read, these are the words of Jesus in John 17. I want to show you something. Jesus is speaking of his uh, disciples and praying for his disciples in what's called the high priestly prayer of Christ. This is just before his crucifixion, and he's going to go away. And he says in John 17, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I don't want them to be in bondage to the evil one, he's saying. That's what Jesus is praying for us. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, which implies we can be in an evil world without the evil world taking over us. Then verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, make them holy. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Here's what I'm driving at. The power of truth to set you free from sin. You're in practice sin because you believe things that aren't quite true. And if you want to be free, then you want to begin, the Bible uses the term meditate. That means that you cherish in the deepest part of you truth. And a specific truth that is specific to the sin that you are in bondage to. Jesus said it in this way. You know, he said, man should not live by bread alone. He quotes Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And give, he said in the, in, in the uh, disciples' prayer, give us this day, our daily bread. Most effective Christians know that they need to have the word every day if they're going to grow and if they're going to be healthy, right? How many of you are going to eat as soon as I'm done talking here? I thought so. You're going to eat three or four times today. Some of you are just going to eat all day, all day long. And 
that's a good day for me. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. You probably guessed. Um, but, but yes, but spiritually, we need to obviously continue to have truth in order for us to have life. Jesus said truth equals life. So think about it like this in a chart. Imagine a big flashing light. Jesus plus daily truth equals life. Say that with me. Jesus plus daily truth equals life. Come on. Jesus plus daily truth equals life. Didn't say Sunday truth, said daily truth. It's actually more than that. It's continual. We, we owe your laws my delight all throughout the day, morning, noon, and night. When I delight in the truth, the truth will set me free. Now, guess what? Satan hates you. Just thought I'd share that with you today. And he hates God. And he hates you because he hates God. And you're, you are the object of God's redemptive love, so Satan wants to destroy you. And if you even are a Christian, he wants to make you a sad, broken, ineffective Christian in bondage to sin. So he has a counterfeit for everything that Jesus has, right? Jesus plus daily truth equals life. Satan plus daily lie equals how did you know? Isn't that true? He wants to kill you. He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. He wants death to come to your marriage. He wants death to come to that sweet relationship between you and your little girl, between you and your little grand buddy. He wants to crush the life out of that, and he's going to put a lie in there. He doesn't want you to have a pure, happy, holy marriage relationship. He wants you to do it his way so he can kill you. You do it God's way, it ends in, yeah. You do it Satan's way, it ends in, this ain't rocket science. This is not rocket science. It's so plain, so straightforward, right? This is what Jesus says. If you listen to the truth and if you embed the truth, now, there's a really powerful way. Let me finish that sentence. Sometimes I preach without finishing sentences. We wouldn't want you to finish that wrong. If you embed, if you embed the truth in your life, the lie can't kill you because the truth will give you life. Yeah. That's just it. Now, what I was going to do today was I was going to do this preaching on Psalm 19. And I, is anybody in the house here doubt that I could talk for an hour about Psalm 19? Don't even think about raising your hand. I'll be, keep you after school, and I will show you. Okay. But I was praying this morning, real early in the morning, and it was like, a, I feel like the Lord said, give them a bunch of examples. So I have 30. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I love it when people are with me like that. Now if we could get a little organ playing and some people talking, we'd be rolling here. Uh, yeah, it would be like 30 examples. I'll give you a handful of examples, and maybe one of those examples will, well, you know, grab you by the throat, punch you between the eyes, touch your heart, or something like that, right? It'll capture your attention. This, this, is, this is, before we say that, understand, people are going to tell lies about you. Anybody here ever had people tell lies about you? Yeah. Tell you who you are and it's not true? People do that stuff. Sometimes, unintentionally, even our moms and dads, brothers and sisters, and our best friends will say a lie about us. They'll say something about us that is not true. And those kind of get, can get embedded in our soul. They can mess us over. And that's a lie we can believe. We know Satan wants you to believe a lie, so Satan and demons can implant lies. The culture we're in is no friend to God, so the, the culture we're in is full of lies that we can believe. Philosophy and false religion preach it. And the Scriptures teach this continuously using the word deceive. 
You deceive ourselves. We can be deceived by demons. We can be deceived by false religion. We can be deceived by philosophies. We can be deceived by our well-meaning friends. This is why it's so important for us to saturate our hearts and our minds and our conscience with the truth that God knows is right and true and brings life, life, and drive out the lives that bring death to marriage, death to parenting, death to churches, death to countries. And, the, and it's all on this truth. So the world around us, we need to understand, is a minefield of damning lies, a minefield of dangerous lies. And we have to be really sharp, saturate ourselves with God's word. The Bible uses the term engraft God's word into our soul. Sometimes and often it uses the term meditate on God's word. The soundtrack of our life should be the word of God. The truth from God should be the thing that is the soundtrack of our life. So meditating on truth, as you can see from what I'm saying, is a powerful spiritual force. This is awesome. A powerful spiritual force to meditate on truth. You may or may not get like an immediate reaction, right? But over time, it's like really good nutrition. Won't be very long, and you're going to be feeling better. And so it is with truth. Listen to what the scriptures say in Psalm 86 and verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. There are hundreds of Bible verses like that. Let me give you a couple more. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then I love this, and you know this. Psalm 4 and verse 23 talks about the meditations of our heart, our thoughts, and so forth. Keep your heart with all vigilance. I love this. Out of it flow the very springs of life. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, Jesus said, about every believer because they have the Holy Spirit in him. So you don't want a dam built up and keeping you from being a a river of life to everybody around you. I want to be a river of life to everybody around me. I want to be a flowing spring feeding everybody that comes anywhere near me. I want to bless them. I want them to have life. And this is possible through the powerful spiritual force of meditating on truth. Now, before we give you the examples, you know, 30 or so, um, before I give you the examples, let me just say this. You might ask me the question, Pastor, if I don't understand this, does it still work? And the answer is, absolutely. You don't even have to understand it for it to work. I think sometimes I meditate on Scripture because I was told to meditate on Scripture when I was a kid. I've memorized Scripture, meditated on Scripture, quoted Scripture, and, and God helped me with stuff in my life. And then later on, I look back and I go, okay, all right, I see what was going on there. But I had no idea what it was at the time. Now, it's more powerful if you understand what's going on, and you can. It's more powerful. So in other words, what I'm saying is this. Get up every morning, read the Bible, somewhere, anywhere, you know, and it'll be good for you. It's the Word of God. It'll be good for you. But if you examine your life and you say, what lie am I believing, and what truth from God's Word can I lay over that lie to root that lie out, that'll, ha- that'll work faster and better. Are you with me? That'll just be better. So if you're really sharp and you do the heavy lifting, my friend that went to 12 Stones had to do some heavy lifting, right? He had to go down there and examine his life. What lies am I believing? Then he had to study the Word of God. He got some help. What truth can I force those lies out with? Now I've got to practice that, not just know that. That's just hard. That's good old plain hard work. And it's going to be hard work for you to change to. It'll be spirit-empowered. 
right? Spirit-inspired and spirit-empowered hard work. But this is what the hard work is going to look like when I'm done today. You go home and you say to yourself, what lies is Satan trying to crush me with? What lies is Satan trying to kill me with? And then you want to have a little bit more fun, look down the row at the people you love and just kind of go, what lies is he trying to hurt my wife? You don't want Satan to hurt your wife, do you? Be a man. Man up, boys. Right? Don't let him hurt her. You have grandkids to pray for. What lies is he trying to crush your little granddaughter with? What lies is he trying to ruin your little granddaddy with? What lies is he trying to mess with you? Don't, don't let him do that. You have to do the heavy lifting. You have to do the hard work. You have to ask yourself, what lies am I building? My... Some of us build our whole lives and destroy or damage or weaken our whole lives because we believe lies deep in the core of our being. And so I think it will help you now if I, I begin to give you, um, the, and this is, by the way, the best way to help somebody is to help identify the lie. You've got to be careful. You have to win the right to be heard, but help them identify the lies that Satan is trying to use to crush the life out of them and gently help them to recover. But it's best to show them. So here are some examples. Are you ready? You are going to have to listen quickly. All right. Lie number one. Here's an example. person says in their heart, I can't change. I can't overcome this problem. I've tried all my life and I can't. Anybody ever heard that lie before in your heart? You don't have to raise your hand. That I can't change. Okay, you want to take that, that lie and you want to replace it with something like this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation that's overtaken you, but such other people have had that too. Such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Say God is faithful. That's just fun to say, isn't it? God is faithful. Say it loud like a Pentecostal. Come on, do it. God is faithful. We'll just pretend. Yeah. And God, some of you are not pretending. Uh, God is faithful. That's just awesome. God is work. Go, hey, God is faithful. That's just awesome right there. If you didn't get anything else like God today, just go home with that and you're good to roll. God is faithful. <laughs> he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. That's a good Bible verse, isn't it? Maybe you should put that in your heart when somebody's lying to you and saying you can't change. Go, yes, I can. Yes, I can. I have a way of escape. God is faithful. Just fun to say it. Put that in your heart. Memorize that. You don't have to memorize a big old, big old thing. Just a little thing. And then whenever you put it in the dashboard of your truck, put it in your purse, or put it on your fridge, and then every time God is faithful, he will provide a way of escape. And that lie is, I can't stop sinning. God is faithful. He will provide a way. Don't you love that? I just love that. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful. Put that in your soul. Uh, James 1.21, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the word which is implanted in you, which is able to save your soul. Put that in there and meditate on that a little bit. That's some powerful stuff, right? Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word from men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in those who believe. That's awesome. The word of God effectively works in people who believe it. Do you believe it? It can change you. It can transform your life. This is awesome. John 17, 17, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself. This is Jesus saying this, that they also may be sanctified by 
truth. And John 15, 3, you're already clean because of the word, which I've spoken to you in Ephesians 5, 26. They might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, it says in Psalm 19, that I might not sin against you. You see what I'm saying? The truth, the lie is I can't change. The truth is the Bible says you can change all over the place. And you want to take that lie out and put the truth in over and over again until one day you wake up and go, hey, I'm changing. It's a miracle. Like, yeah, it's a miracle. Told you. Oh, that awesome? You're not excited enough. Okay, here's another one. Let's get, sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, let, my wife will, like, be mean to me if I say that. So I retract that. I retract that. She's like, <laughs> I worked with a pastor one time. Sorry, hon. I worked with a pastor one time, and he called me in his office, and he goes, Ken, he says, can I just help you with something? I'm like, okay. He goes, you're going to do a lot better in ministry if you realize everybody doesn't snap, crackle, and pop like you do. <laughs> I'm like, well, they ought to. <laughs> so, so lie, lie. Here's another lie. Uh, we only have 29 more. Uh, lie. I, I think too much. I think too much. You ever say, I, I'm, it's a worry thing. I, I, I'm worried. I, I think too much. That's a lie. That's a lie. You ever have that, you ever have that feeling like, I think too much. People say that to me every once in a while. I love them. They'll come and say, I just, I'm a, I got a problem, Pastor. I think too much. Oh, this makes me kind of smile. I go, well, like, can you like stop thinking? Is that a good idea? Just don't think anymore. Let me help you not think. I mean, you know, just like, so here's the truth, okay? What if you took that lie, I think too much, <laughs> and you replaced it with a truth that sounded like this? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that's excellent and worthy of praise, think on those things. It's not that you think. It's that you're thinking about wrong stuff that will mess you up. See? You think about good stuff, and it will bring life to your soul. Think all day about good stuff. Watch good stuff on TV. Listen to good stuff on your stereo. Talk. Say good stuff when you talk. And, you know, if there's anything commendable, worthy of praise, think on these things. And the God of peace, the Bible says, is so beautiful. God of peace will be with you. Um, you uh, and whatever you've learned and received and heard of me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Number three. So, so if, you're, if you have worry because you're thinking too much, just change what you think. I'll be good. All right, and then what about anger? Anybody have a problem with that? I don't want to make you mad here. Um, but what if you have a problem with anger? And you, know, and you say something like this. The only way I can get my husband to do what he is supposed to do is get angry. It's the only thing I can do. I, I'm not, I don't want to talk out of school, but I might have heard that a few times in counseling. <laughs> the only way I can get my kids to do what they're supposed to do is get angry. Is that the truth or a lie? Well, it's easy to say in church, but a lot of people, that's how they live. They're like, I'm just going to pitch a fit and get people in line here. I will control them with my anger. I'm going to blow up. That's what I'm going to do. And everybody's going to scamper. You know, it's kind of like, like the bank robber mentality. If everybody does what I say, nobody gets hurt here. Right? How many of you are like that? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. But if that, okay, sometimes I've heard people say, the only way I can get the attention I need or get things to happen is if I get angry. But what does the Bible say about that? Well, here's an example, James 1.20. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. That's the truth. Truth is, your anger is not producing righteousness. It's breeding more unrighteousness while you're controlling people or whatever you're doing there. It isn't good. 
Welcome to church. Yeah, okay. Here's another one. We're going to get off that because I don't want to make you mad. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Anger, mad. Yeah, all right. All right, that if you're sharp, you get these things. They're just bonuses. Pride, pride. Here's a lie. <laughs> knowing, knowing truth will make me spiritual. It's a lie. No, I know a lot of people that know truth. <laughs> They're yucky. They're just stinky. They're just yucky. They're like, oh, you know, they know. You ever meet a religious hypocrite? They're the worst kind. You're just like, help me. Say you're Mormon. Don't say you're Baptist. Help work with me here. You know, right? The, you see what I'm saying? Like, don't put my label on you if you're going to behave like that because you stink. You, you know, you, I mean, one stinks if one behaves in this way. All right. So, so a person that has pride is going to say, if I know more stuff, I'm going to be spiritual. And knowledge is just a part of growing, but it not, it, here's what the Bible says, James 1, It says doers of, you know, people that do what they know. And the power of the Holy Spirit, those are spiritual people. James 1, 22 to 25, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Because if you just hear and you don't do, you're what? You know what this says? You're deceiving yourself. Don't deceive yourself. It can feel really good to come to church, hear good stuff, go home, do what you ever did, do what you always did. Or like, it'd be like owing a lot of bills and getting them out and lining them all up on the table and, and alphabetizing them and then putting them back in the drawer and not paying them. You're still dumb as a rock, right? Pay some of those bills, right? Same as going to church, learning a bunch of stuff. You're puffed up with knowledge and pride. It's just another form of sin. It's a religious form of sin that we're vulnerable to, all of us. It's a little bit like I have, I have four bikes in our barn, four, four, two girls, two boys. I have two bikes. That doesn't make me fit. You can see by looking. It take, you have to ride the bike, you see? You can't just like own the bike. It doesn't make you fit to own a bike. It doesn't make you spiritual to come to church. It should help. But just sitting in church is, and getting more knowledge, and think, you can deceive yourself that way. See what I'm saying? Um, but, it, but it says, you know, like the, the word is like a mirror, and when you look and you actually do and change, what are you going to change? What's going to be different now? I mean, think about that. That's, that's the person who is spiritual. I, I like that. Let, let me share just a few more with you as we have just a, a minute uh, uh, a minute. Um, here, here is um, here is a um, here's another one. Uh, you ever have a tendency to kind of reject yourself, talk bad about yourself? I'm a loser, or whatever you know. I'm not worthy of love. Somebody maybe told you that you're not worthy of love. You're worthless. You're, you're not worthy of love. Something's wrong with you. I've had this problem. Got beat up as a kid, so I'd go home at night and think, you don't beat people you like. You know, there must be something very unlikable about me. And you go to new, new school and think, I have a new beginning, and they beat you there too. Then you kind of think, it's not the school. It's not the people. It's me. Everywhere I go, they beat me up. You know, <laughs> don't feel bad for me. The Lord has used this so powerfully in my life. It would be easy to say, there's something especially unlikable about me. Yeah, don't agree with that. Yeah, but that's not true if I read my Bible it says I'm chosen and cherished by God. But I'm the object of his affection from before time began. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen nation. The Bible says I'm a special people. You are too if you know the Lord. Even if you don't know the Lord, you're precious to him. You're made in the image of God. You have worth and dignity even if you don't know the Lord. He respects you even if you don't respect him. Isn't that interesting? Put that in the soundtrack of your life, and you're going to be more help to other people 
That's Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Let me get to this one. Like, here's one that I've kind of wrestled with kind of like a lot. Here's a lie that Ken has believed. And, and overindulgence in food is, is, uh, will bring you joy and pleasure. Overindulgence in food will bring, that's a lie. That was a special one because that one is always rattling around in my head. I'm a self-indulgent kind of like, oh, there's cake. Let's have the whole thing. I think we were on that last week, weren't we? Should we move to brisket this week or jelly beans? I mean, I can, I can go all over the map with this thing. And then I'm like, oh, or barbecue potato chips. I've chosen barbecue potato chips over Jesus before. Yeah, let me tell you about the story. Okay, I will then. So I'm fasting one day. I get up, I'm, I'm going to fast because I want to be close to the Lord. I'm going to fast. And so I, <laughs> I don't eat any breakfast. And then I, I get my Bible. I'm going to pray and read my Bible at lunch and just indulge in the Lord. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to go across the street and get that shredded barbecue chicken thing with the barbecue chips. And I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to think about it. You know, not today. I'm fasting, right? And so I'm at my desk and it's noon and I have this Pavlovian response, you know, where I just get up and I start over there out the door. And I'm like, I get to the door and I'm like, shoot, I'm fasting today. Oh, I had those barbecue chips on my mind. And now I have to go spend time with Jesus. Oh, and then I'm like, Hmm. It's nice. It's good he's nice. He doesn't hit us with lightning every time we deserve it, right? There are times that I'm more excited about barbecue chips than I am about spending. What do they call that? That's called, I'm just talking about me, I'm not talking about you. That's called idolatry. And that's a dumb idol, right? Barbecue chips? Are you kidding me? Like some of us, it doesn't take much, you know? It doesn't take much to take us off the, off the rails. Um, but I could embed in my heart a truth like, they're, uh, people who hate God are headed for destruction, and their God is their appetite. I don't want to be that guy. One of the versions of the Bible is kind of cute. Their God is their belly. Yeah. No. Okay, God. Love you. I'm going to feed you three times a day. It's like, really? That's as big as your world is? Your belly? Look at that. It's scary. I had my shirt off today. My, grand comes, my grandson came in. I don't have my shirt on in time. He goes, ooh, yuck. <laughs> like, what? What's that about? I said, Lois, you think I'm handsome with my shirt off, don't you? And she says, I won't talk about that. No, I'm, I made that up. I made that up. 1 Corinthians 10, 7, don't be idolaters as some were, as it is written. They sat down to eat and drink, and then they went out and got involved in revelry. Here, here's the lie that I can believe that might make my heart stop sooner, and I don't have as long of a ministry as I wanted, and I don't influence my kids like I wanted to, I don't influence my grandkids like I want to, and that is overeating is humorous and harmless. Truth is, no, overeating is idolatry, and it's sin. So I'm going to move on from that. Okay, and, and, and I could go on, like I said, 30. We'll come back, and we'll share these, but here's what I wanted to help you with. I, I wanted you to see very practically what you can do. You get it, right? You have some hard work to do right now. You really, can I say this with grace and love? You need to go home. I mean, except for those of you who are sinlessly perfect. You're chilled. You're good. Okay. But the rest of you, you, you need to go home and you need to look at your life and you go, what are those things that plague me, that bother me? Spirit of God, search me. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way that is everlasting. Is there any, have I been selfish with my wife? unwilling to go out of the way to love her? Have I been 
stubborn in my opinions, unwilling to be entreated by other people? Have I been profane in my talk and my words aren't pleasing to the Lord? You know, just go through your life and ask the Lord, he'll be faithful to do that. Ask yourself now, what lie did I believe that put me in bondage to that to the point where I can't even change? And now, do the heavy lifting, the hard work of searching the Scripture so you find a cluster of Scriptures and the ones that especially stand out to you, just put them on a card and then let your mind go there on purpose. You will change. You change the way you think and you will change the way you live. And you see, this isn't you. This is the power of God in you. When you cry out to God in prayer... Right? And when you obey in the power of the Holy Spirit, and when the Spirit prompts you to meditate on truth, God is powerfully at work in you. God can work in you powerfully. And let's stand together. And we're going to sing about this. And I trust that what you'll do, as soon as you can get away and be alone with the Lord, that you'll start to do the work. And, and that we'll be crafting a holy life. And always be thinking, God is so strong and powerful. His ways are so true. This, this canon will work. And, and you know, maybe your dad, you're sitting here going, yeah, I probably should do that. No, no, it's, 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 it's more important than that. Your son needs to see the power of God in your life every day. You might make it through by the skin of your teeth, but your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, they need to see the power of God in your life every day. You need to know, I know there's a God. How do I know? I've seen him in my mama. She used to get angry, but one day she changed, and she stopped getting angry. <laughs> You're kidding me. No. I've heard stories like that. And if you want somebody to pray with you today after we're done singing this beautiful song, you can come forward. We'll have people that will be tenderhearted with you, and they'll pray with you. If you need the Lord, you need to be saved. Ask the one who brought you or come to one of us and we'll walk you through how, to, how you can know that you know God with all your heart. Let me just say this too. You know, some of you, you know, you, the sin thing, you know, I've been kind of humorous today. Um, I do that when I'm real serious for some weird reason. Sin isn't funny. It can destroy you fast. And some of you, you might be involved in some kind of flirtation, some kind of a wrongdoing some kind of a dishonest practice, and it's about to ruin you. It's about to bring you shame, and it's about to hurt you. And, the, and you want to run to the cross and just throw yourself down, you know? I saw a rally one time, and well, I, was, I was coming home. One of my daughters was sitting on the porch with her phone. She goes, Dad, she's crying. She goes, look at this. What? She goes, look at this. It's a, it's a video of some kids at a rally, some young people at a, at a big musical festival, Christian music festival. At the end of the festival, they had put up a big cross, and they invited the kids. There were thousands of them there. If you need to come and kneel at the cross, come on down here and kneel at the cross. Give you some counsel. Nobody came, right? They started singing the song, and nobody came. They were just all looking. And all of a sudden, out of the back of the crowd, some kid starts walking forward. And he gets about halfway down the aisle, and he starts walking faster. And then all of a sudden, he's just in a full-out run. And he dives at the foot of the cross, dives on his face, and then kids start coming like crazy, running and jumping at the cross. And I was crying too. How sweet would it be for you today to go dive at the foot of the cross and say, okay, I'm done with my sin. Help me, God. Deliver me. 
It's going to kill me. I don't want that to happen. I want to live for you. Let's sing together.